This is an audio presentation of God First Church, Cheltenham, England. A community of Jesus followers, worshipping God first, proclaiming God first, and together living God first lives. For more information, visit our website at godfirst.org.uk. Welcome. My name's Tom. I'm one of the leaders here. Um, I need the pastoral team, so it seemed appropriate that the last one in the series on everyday pastoral care landed with me. So that might be good or bad for you. We'll wait and see. <laughs> so as you, as you all know, we've been working through the last few weeks, we've been working through everyday church. Um, so how it kind of kicked us off at looking at life on the margins and everyday mission. Um, Tom looked at community. Um, obviously starting the new community groups, so that was great just to kind of see where we're heading with that. Um, Howard looked at everyday discipleship, and Steve looked at everyday compassion, and Howard did everyday family life last week for the dedication, so we've been looking at how everyday church matches our everyday life, so today we're going to be looking at what everyday pastoral care looks like. So I'm sure if I asked many of you this morning, what is pastoral care, we'd probably get a mixed bag of responses. I'm going to read to you what I've kind of come up with from these weeks of kind of looking into this and preparing this preach I've had a slight advantage on you so I'm going to share what I believe pastoral care is and then hopefully by the end of the preach we'll be on the same page. Um, So what is it? Pastoral care I believe is how we love and care for each other as a family of believers. It's how we challenge and spur each other on. It's how we point each other back towards God through discipleship and community and it's how we learn to accept each other as Christ first accepted us. So hopefully you don't disagree with me on that one, but we'll, uh, we'll go through and see where, see where we land at the end. So I'm going to be looking at um, 1 Peter 1, looking at verses 22 to 24 this morning. So that's what I'm going to be basing what I talk about this morning. Uh, now that you have purified yourselves by obeying the truths so that you have sincere love for your brothers, love one another deeply from the heart, for you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and enduring word of God. I just think, you know, it's a great part of the Bible, isn't it? It's a great uh, way to look at it. We obviously sang about enduring. God loves endures forever this morning. I just love that word, endures. So I just think, just think it's great. Um, so that's briefly kind of what, what it is, and we're going to be unpacking that verse. So the first thing we're going to look at is where we do it. Where do we do everyday pastoral care? For what I believe everyday pastoral care, for it to be effective, it needs to happen in community. Um, So obviously we've just been looking at doing these new community groups. Um, I'm always amazed when I look at church community that, no offence to you guys, but it's such a random mix and collective of people. I just don't don't think you see it anywhere across society where you get all these people mixed together and because they've got all one thing in common that they love Jesus that it kind of works. You know, I think there's a little bit of God's sense of humour within that, that he kind of puts all these together, that his church is his model for how he wants to reflect his glory on earth. And I, just, I just think that's his sense of humour, that he puts all these random people together, and yet it just works. Um, so we've just launched our new community groups, um, which most of you will be familiar with that. 
Some of those were based on geographic location. Some of them were based around coffee. Some of them were based around the workplace. Um, but obviously, we cannot have that as the focus for our groups. We cannot have coffee or where we live as the focus of our, our groups as much as it would be uh, fun to do that because they don't create life that endures. There has to be an emphasis on the gospel word. As Peter says, only the word of God can create an enduring community of life and of love. So what does Peter mean when he talks about the living and enduring word of God? I've got a quote for you, a quote by Dietrich Bonhoeffer. What a great name. Um, Bonhoeffer. Good old Bonhoeffer. He was actually a German pastor, and he was actually a spy as well. So there's a bit of a... Bit of a highlight there for you. So let, let's see what Dietrich said. That's what he said. He said, We can never live by our own words and deeds, but only by that one word and deed that really binds us together the forgiveness of sins in Jesus Christ. Christian community is not an ideal we have to realise, but rather a reality created by God in which we may participate. The more clearly we learn to recognise that the ground and strength and promise of all our community is in Jesus Christ alone, the more calmly we will learn to think about our community and pray and hope for it. Isn't that great? So Peter is saying, when we're born again, when we become Christians, we're born into this new family. We've been born through an imperishable seed, the living, enduring word of God. And because the word of God endures, it gives life and it continues to give life. And the word of God is imperishable, so is the family of God imperishable. So where we're all part of human families, where we'll perish through death, we'll all kind of disappear. The family that we're in here endures forever, because God's word endures forever. Isn't that a great truth? Yeah. Likewise, we're here to be a family. If you're not a Christian this morning, this is what is on offer for you this morning. This could be a family, this could be your home. Um, so we're to be a family where the people who come from an unfamily can be family. That's a responsibility that we carry as a church. So we start with a community of believers who believe God's word endures forever. We have faith and hope in God. And we have a sincere love for one another and love each other deeply from the heart. So that's the first thing. So we do it in community. Obviously Tom Bradbury did a great job the other day explaining what that kind of community looks like. But that's where we do everyday pastoral care. So community is more than Sundays, it's more than this. We do it in, the, in our community groups. We do it in everyday life. Paul says this in Ephesians 4. He says, It was Christ who gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, and some to be pastors and teachers, to prepare God's people for the works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up. I think this is a helpful verse in a lot of ways, but I think it's unhelpful in other ways. I think it's unhelpful for these reasons. I think it's unhelpful because we become complacent and reliant on the great evangelist. Therefore, we don't tell our friends about Jesus. We become reliant on the great teacher. Therefore, we don't look to who we can disciple. We become reliant on the church leader to pastor us. Therefore, we don't do everyday pastoral care with one another. It's not the job of the leaders of the church to do all of these things. We're all here to do it. We're all evangelists. Yeah. We're all teachers. We're all pastors. 
Sunday mornings need to be a time of equipping. They need to be a time of powering up, ready to do mission, community, and everyday pastoral care. For it to work, we need to be in each other's lives daily. Otherwise, it only offers weekly pastoral care at best. God has made us, he's designed us to be in community. So we've looked at what pastoral care is. We've looked at where we do it. Now this is where the rubber hits the road. This is where we're going to now look and unpack and how we do it. We're going to look at how it looks like in everyday life. Thessalonians 2 verse 8, where Paul says, We have loved you so much that we're delighted to share with you not only the gospel of God, but our lives as well, because you have become so dear to us. So this is where we do it. We do it as we watch TV. We do it as we do the chores. We do it as we go to work. We do it as we eat meals over the dinner table. We talk as we go. We ask people how their walk is with God, what the Spirit is saying to them, what book they're reading. It's about, it's about all of that, just doing it in everyday life. It's about making your home an open home. It's about people seeing you as a parent, as a husband or a wife. Seeing you when life is messy, it's not about putting up a front. So, I don't know about you, we, I've got four kids and we like to have the kids' friends around to play and stuff like that. And I always find it really amusing when we have them around for dinner afterwards that they kind of start tucking into their food and either me or Lucy will say, right, should we say grace? And kind of you get different responses, but it's quite entertaining to watch. But I just think it, it just shows a little bit of how we live life. And I think that there's quite a lot of power in opening up your home. There's often the phrase that an Englishman's house is his castle, which I think is a load of rubbish. If you're a Christian, your house cannot be a castle. You know, there needs to be an element that you lower down that drawbridge. Your house needs to be a refuge, not a castle. So I just encourage you, there's a lot of power in that. So we always try and do the kids' parties at home because we want people to come into our home. We want to see how we parent our children. I want them to see whether I'm a good husband or a bad husband, whether the Lucy's a good wife or a bad wife. So I just encourage you, it's not about putting up a front. It's, all, it's great if it looks messy. It's great for people to see you fail because it's all, it's all that people need to see you do in everyday life. They don't need this fake atmosphere that they come into. So just encourage you just to open up your homes. We live in a world of broken families. You only have to look at the news daily to see that the world is broken, especially in terms of family. And there's a power in inviting people into that. The amount of, if you've got kids, kids from school and stuff that would be from broken families and they can come in and see what a home is supposed to look like, what a family unit is supposed to look like. Jesus did discipleship through everyday life, whether it is over the meal table, walking place to place, or in his work. He was always doing it through everyday life. And when we look at everyday life in the Bible, we see many examples in the New Testament of what we call one another, and you probably heard that phrase quite a bit if you've been around God first for a while. We talk about it quite a bit. Um, just in the way that the New Testament tells us to do things with one another, for example, to love one another, pray for one another, forgive one another, etc. Looking through this, we can kind of deduce that there's several categories. I'm just going to work through these, and as I read them, I want you to kind of look at them and think, which ones are you best at? Which ones are you worst at? Which ones do you struggle with? Which ones do you find easy? So the first one is, be at peace with one another, forgiving, agreeing, being humble, accepting, forbearing, living in harmony, and greet him with a kiss. <laughs> so you could probably leave that last one off. I know me and Steve like to greet each other with a kiss, but the rest of you don't need to uh, do that. So how are you doing with that one? Um, do not judge, lie, or grumble. 
show hospitality to one another. I think we're very good at that as a church. I think we do hospitality really well. Confess your sins to another. Be kind to one another, concerned, devoted, serving and doing good. Instruct and teach one another. Admonish, rebuke, exhort and stir at one another. Comfort and encourage one another. So which ones are you doing well at? Which ones are you struggling with? I'm sure that when I kind of read through these, the one that kind of struck out at me was rebuke, which is one that we always kind of tend to shy away from. Some people are very good at doing rebuke, some of us are not quite so good. And I think sometimes we shy away from doing it because we fear confrontation or just not knowing how to do it well. I think we often take pastoral care, we take rebuke out of everyday life, which always makes it something a lot bigger than what it's meant to be. Often bringing about hurt and confrontation. We need to be able to rebuke well if we're to pastorally care for one another. Why do we need to be able to rebuke? Well, Hebrews 3 says it like this. It says, See to it, brothers, that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God, but encourage one another daily, as long as it's called today, so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. So this just shows we're always a few steps away from sin, aren't we? Sin's deceitfulness. So we need daily pastoral encouragement not to turn away from God. This is why we need to do it in the everyday. Can't wait for a Sunday morning to do this. It's a lot easier to do it in everyday life. I know that I've done some tricky pastoral things with different people and often if it's been that I haven't been in a relationship with that person or friendship with that person, it's so much harder to do it because you're not doing everyday life and it just comes down like a right bombshell. Whereas I think if you're doing it in everyday life, I've had some real wins in pastoral situations because I'm already in friendship, relationship with that person. It, it feels so much more normal. So I just encourage you, that, encourage you with that. Often people kind of shy away from doing everyday pastoral care because they think it's someone else's responsibility. But I just encourage you, if you feel that you need to do everyday pastoral care, you need to be able to rebuke somebody. You know, it's great. I can give you some pointers, but it's great for you to do it because you're already in friendship and relationship with that person. It's going to be so much more normal and powerful. Let's not think that pastoral care has to be spontaneous and unplanned. We all have busy lives and often we have to plan stuff in the diary to make it happen. Let's plan that it has gospel intentionality because without the gospel intentionality all we have is ordinary life. Let's face it, everybody does that. We want God taught to be normal Talking about what we're reading in the Bible, praying together wherever we share needs, delighting together in the gospel, sharing our spiritual struggles with believers and unbelievers. A great model that we have in this church is, um, you may have heard it if you've been around for a while, but we do threes in the church, which obviously we do our mission communities and then we do threes, which is a group of three or four people. um, And kind of part of that is iron sharpening iron, that you're kind of there to spur each other on, you're there to do pastoral care for one another, you're there to encourage each other and build each other up. Um, so I was kind of thinking about that as I was walking the dog this morning, I was just thinking about that iron sharpens iron and just that God gave me the phrase, it's not lead round the back of your head. So you know, it's the two, the two metals, iron, iron and lead, so if you, you come away from, the, from a three feeling condemned, um, then you know the three isn't working right, it's there to kind of encourage each other and spur each other on. So just encourage, if you want to take that to a deeper level, three is the, three is the place to do that. 
So probably the starting point would be to speak to your uh, community leader and just ask how you get into the three. So they're, they're same-sex groups. So maybe we look around at who you think you could do, do life with in that sense. So here's our get out of jail free card. Pastoral care takes a lifetime. We look at the story of Jairus, where he asked Jesus to come and stop his daughter from dying. As Jesus is on the way to Jairus' house, Jairus is informed that his daughter has died. And Jesus says to him, do not be afraid, just believe. Sometimes the just believe can be hard, especially when people are in difficult situations. We just need to believe that the gospel might be technically correct. We cannot expect to have one conversation with somebody that sorts them out. Change can take a lifetime, therefore so can pastoral care. Somebody may feel that they have an overcome an issue today and be facing the same issue again tomorrow. This is because we are all sinners and sin is often deep-seated. Therefore we need a daily dose of truth, love, encouragement and exhortation. Because temptation is a daily challenge, we need to daily come back to the beauties of the gospel. Now, if you're doing pastoral care with somebody, we need to pastor each other with grace. If I'm about to go into a pastoral situation with somebody, I always try and read this verse because I feel it just kind of gives me God's grace. So it's Matthew 7, 1 to 5. It says this, says, Do not judge or you too will be judged. For in the same way as you judge others, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you look at the speck in your brother's eye and pay no attention to, attention to the plank in your own eye? You hypocrite, first take the plank out of your own eye and then you'll see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. The danger with that verse is you can all be thinking, wow, I don't want to do pastoral care now. <laughs> so we all have sin in our life, but this isn't what the verse is saying. A key word from this passage is the word hypocrite. The person who tries to remove the speck is a hypocrite, often trying to establish their own righteousness. God wants us to hunger and thirst for his righteousness. We want to be reliant on him and rely on his grace in these situations. He points us to this in uh, Matthew 5, and the Sermon on the Mount, where it's the Beatitudes. Um, and this, this is the attitude that he wants us to, to have before we go into a pastoral situation. He says this. He says, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, and they will be called the children of God. Blessed are those who persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven, for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. So that's how God wants us to be. That's, that's kind of how he wants us to have his grace in those situations, how he wants us to be with one another. He wants us to have grace because he, as it says in Romans 8, verse 1, it says there's no condemnation in Christ. We must allow people to respond negatively and honestly to our pastoral input. We should always pastor as fellow sinners pointing each other back towards God. We should encourage 360-degree pastoring, not top-down pastoring. 
I'm not here to do all the pastoring just because I lead the pastoral team. I need to be pastored too. We should be ready and welcome for it to be messy. Our aim should not be not to make people moral and help them to have a comfortable and complacent life. Our aim should be for people to experience joy in Christ. Paul's goal was always about finding joy in the good times and the bad times. It says in Philippians 3 verse 8, it says, What is more, I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them rubbish that I may gain Christ. So Paul's commitment to Christ arises from his delight, first of all, that he finds in Christ. This is how we need to do our pastoral care. It's not our job to convince people into commitment. It's not our job to help people find joy in him. So the temptations of, it's our job to help people find joy in him so that the temptations of this earth look pathetic and alternatives by comparison. Yes. So let's pastor, pastorally care for each other with the gospel. Let's be careful not to get caught in proclaiming positive thinking instead of proclaiming the good news of the gospel. So what's the difference between positive thinking and proclaiming the good news of the gospel? Well, if we look at modern secular counselling, you'll find that they use terms such as, you can do it, life is not against you. It's a call to break you out of negative thinking. It's often an effective way and it often works, but in many ways it's the best that the world has to offer that we have something better. Sometimes negative thinking is actually right. For example, if you suffer from a condition where you always punish yourself, a counsellor may tell you that you deserve to get better. But you may think that you don't deserve to get better and you deserve God's judgement. This is an opportunity for everyday pastoral care. It's an opportunity to share good news of the gospel by explaining that you do deserve God's judgement, but Jesus has taken the judgement you deserve paid it in full, and given you your reward that you are a child of God. You do not need to punish yourself because the punishment was paid in full at the cross. That is good news without pretending. Let's, let's um, refuse the temptation to be advice givers. It's all too easy to say maybe you shouldn't be dating that unbeliever, or maybe you could budget your money better. The problem is that this puts you in a position of parent, someone who already has their life sorted. Secondly, it's not the gospel. It may bring about reform for a period of time, but it will not reconcile them to God or change their hearts. Finally, let's not proclaim law instead of good news. So do any of these statements sound familiar to you? You should not sleep with your boyfriend, your girlfriend. You should read your Bible every day. You should not be getting drunk. You should witness to your friends. You should not lose your temper. I'm sure we've all said those similar sorts of things, or we've heard those sort of things, but this is all condemnation. The gospel would say it like this. You need not get drunk because Jesus offers a better refuge. You need not lose your temper because God is in control of the situation. That is good news. Sin makes promises. And the gospel exposes these promises as false and points to a God who is bigger and better than anything sin has to offer. That is good news. In order to pastor well, we need to believe four truths. Now these truths I'm sure you've heard before. But as I kind of prepared this sermon, I was hit with the realisation that for me, 
I'm sure for you too that the truths are in our head but not found their way to our hearts yet. I believe that this because we keep them in our head but it means the process is not quite complete. Because it's not in our hearts we exchange the truth about God for a lie. We believe our sin rather than the truth. We think that the sin offers more than God does. Our affections move from God onto our sin. That's why everyday pastoral care is crucial for all of us. If we can identify the lie behind the sin, we can speak the truth more effectively. Yes. So I'm just going to work through these four truths. They're called the four Gs. You can grab the book of Everyday Church where they kind of explain more in there. So I don't want to go into these in great depth, but I want to get, kind of go through them in a sense of to challenge you this morning. So I just encourage you to soften your hearts this morning. I'm hoping that something in these next kind of four Gs will just challenge you this morning. So the first one is, God is great. So in relation to this, do you need to be in control? Do you need to dominate people or manipulate them? Do you worry about things being out of control, so overwork to compensate? If that is you this morning, you need to believe that God is great. The truth in that is that God is sovereign. He is in control. Things may not always go the way you want, but God uses everything that happens to us for our good. First one is God is great. Second one is God is glorious. Do you crave the approval of other people or fear their rejection? This is called the fear of man. Do you live to please other people or controlled by peer pressure? If that is you, the truth in that is God is glorious, one whom we should fear, the one whose approval matters most, and the one whose approval we have in Jesus Christ. Next one is, God is good. Do you look for temporary pleasure from sin, for quick and immediate pleasure? If you do, the truth in that is, God is good. God brings true and lasting joy. The last one is, God is gracious. Do you feel that you need to prove yourself? Do you find that when things go well, you are proud, and when they don't go so well, you feel crushed? Are you always determined to win an argument? Truth in that is, while we can never justify ourselves before God, God has justified us through Jesus. Yes. Jesus has done it all, so you have nothing left to prove. Yeah. Yeah. Now, speaking these truths to one another isn't as simple as saying you need to fear God more. You need to link it to your own relationship with God. Why should they fear God more? Do you have a testimony from your own walk that you can share? Or a song with words in that helped you, or a Bible passage? These sins will rarely be revealed on a Sunday morning when we're all on our best behaviour, which is why it's crucial that we do it in the everyday life. So please, can I encourage you all to have a go at everyday pastoral care? Speaking the truth about God will do no harm. When we speak the Spirit-inspired Word of God, the Spirit uses that Word to search and counsel our hearts. I'm just going to go back and finish on what is pastoral care what I read at the beginning. So pastoral care is how we love and care for each other as a family of believers. It's how we challenge and spur each other on. It's how we point each other back towards God through discipleship and community. And it's how we learn to accept each other as Christ accepted us.
For more information, visit our website at godfirst.org.uk.